Welcome to the Monkey Business Show. From cash flow to crypto, all the things you need to know to invest in the market. I'm Aaron Hodges along with the Wall Street Titans, Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett. You might as well get used to it. That's just what I'm going to call you guys from now on. How we doing, boys? Eric, how's things, how's life in San Antonio? Good. A little, a little wet this morning. Um, it rains about six times a year here, and when it rains, it rains. <laughs> not, not a lot of not a lot of sleep last night. Lots of lots of thunder and lightning. Oh, okay. Yeah, getting ready to pack up and yeah, ship off to Virginia, yeah, right? The, the army's uh, we're, we're we're packing up and uh, getting ready to like the Beverly Hillbillies, but we're going the other direction. We're going to we're going to DC. <laughs> we're going to the swamp. <laughs> I like that. And Richie coming at us from Florida. I believe you switched rooms today and saw palm trees behind you. It gave me a sense of calm. How are you, buddy? Yeah, yeah, it is calm. It's it's a little breezy today. It's very nice. So we're not quite probably by, by Saturday or Sunday. It's usually around May where you can forget about low humidity till like November. It's pretty much going to be hot and hotter. But the last few days have been good and we all appreciate that. But it's, uh, yeah, I switched venues. I'm uh, down in the uh, dining room now with the palm trees behind me. We got a little taste of humidity in Jersey yesterday. I heard. 84 degrees, 84 degrees, and, and it was like sticky. Ooh. Okay, summer might be here. I got to get to that seaside boardwalk and bump that Cassius Cuvee, baby. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it's right around the corner. It's almost Cassius season. So today we're going to talk about commodities a little bit trading and investing in commodities. But we did have a couple of big speeches just yesterday from President Biden and from Chairman Powell. So was there anything that came out of those two speeches that can affect the market or anything going forward here? I'll take I'll take Powell. So yesterday, like we, we say, every six weeks, the Federal Reserve um, has what's called the Federal Open Market Committee or FOMC. And they come out, they meet from Tuesday to Wednesday. And then Wednesday at two o'clock Eastern is when their statement comes out, their statement on policy. And then the, then Chairman Powell, a half an hour later, has a press conference that goes on for about an hour. And uh, this one, I mean, all the FOMCs for the most part are pretty widely anticipated. But this one, uh, another really important one, because people wanted to get the Fed's take on where the economy is and where they see it going. And really, people are getting concerned about inflation. And prior to the meeting, Jeff Gunlock from Double Line, he's Every 10 years, we get a new, quote, bond king. Remember, it used to be Bill Gross at PIMCO. Well, now it's Gunlock at, at Double Line. And Gunlock, Gunlock basically said before the meeting, he said that Powell and the Fed, they're just guessing when it comes to inflation, meaning the Fed has been consistently saying, even though we're seeing inflation right now, as we talked about last week with the economy, with a lot of the bottlenecks, the shortages, but be it the chip shortages that, that has been coming out in corporate earnings, you know, uh, companies are, are pointing at that, um, you know, all kinds of shortages as the economy goes from a standstill to starting. The Fed says it's transitory. Don't worry about it. They're not worried about it right now. Gunlock says they're they're making an educated guess. And if they're wrong, it's a big deal because if they get that inflation genie out of the bottle for real, then it's going to take an awful lot of pain to get it back in. But anyway, the Fed came out yesterday and they, I would say, doubled down on that. Powell was very clear that he's not worried about long-term kind of what we call corrosive inflation. 
He believes it's transitory. And so does the most of the, uh, I think all of the voting members of the FOMC believe that as well. He thinks that the economy right now, he, he likes where the economy is going. And certainly we are growing. We got numbers this morning. Uh, first quarter GDP growth came out about 6.4%, which is big. Of course, it's coming off of a lower number, but it's big. A lot of the economic data has been stronger and stronger. But he thinks we still have a long way to go. And he thinks that the recovery is in jeopardy right now, meaning just meaning that there are, there are things that could still hurt this recovery and they're not ready to raise rates anytime soon. They're not ready to stop or slow down their buying of mortgages and treasuries every month. As we talked about, they buy 80 billion treasuries and 40 billion mortgage, mortgage-backed securities every month. They're going to continue to do that. So the markets took it the best possible way, meaning, hey, the Fed's not going to raise rates. Good for stocks, good for bonds. Everything rallied yesterday. You know, so everybody kind of looked at what the Fed was saying as you know, very, very constructive. And they're not going to be, as they say, they used to always say, the Fed's job is to take the punch ball away just when the party gets started. Well, they're, not, they're, they're in no way ready to take the punch ball away. They, maybe they're going to spike the punch ball. Yeah, that's what they've been doing. Yeah. <laughs> Richie, let's get your take on, on President Biden's speech. I, I know the well, New York Post was out today with some. Yes. So, um, but he, just a, a further thing on Powell, he even said, Powell even said basically like we're going to so that target inflation rate is like 2%. He basically said we're going to get that. But no no need for alarm. It'll go away. Basically like that's what he said. Like it's, it'll be a temporary thing. We're going to get to 2%. Don't panic when it gets to 2%. We're still not doing anything. We might that's fully recover when uh, when the lumber cost goes down all by itself. You know that might be a big deal. Well, that's what we're going. If it does, we're going to hit on that in a few seconds with our yeah. quantities. A little talk, President Biden. <laughs> I love the post. The post. The headline of the post was President Biden's speech bombs out on all fronts or something like that. <laughs> I don't even have to read the article. It's just like, like an epic fail. Yeah. <laughs> it was I mean, he stuttered a few times, right? The Wall Street Journal took a back shot of the speech. It was weird, right? Like, because Pelosi and and Harris are up there behind him. They, so they take a picture of his head and they show there's like, I don't know, 12 people from Congress out in the stand. And I'm like, what a weird thing. Now, the markets seem to be okay. You know, that was a big thing. But remember, uh, Powell spoke at two. So if there was going to be some market movement, it could have happened between two Eastern and or two thirty Eastern and four PM when the market stock market closes. Yeah. But overnight, um, the futures markets were strong, very strong. So that tells you that whatever Biden said, either they don't believe he's gonna pass all this stuff, or you know, he didn't say anything like too detrimental that the markets can't continue to roll and it'll just kind of be like steady, steady as she goes. But I do think if everything got passed that he's proposing, it's up to like $6 trillion in the first 100 days. Trillion with a T. That's a lot. And like like Larry Summers, who was economic advisor under Obama and, you know, lifelong Democrat, he's even like, this is too much. He knows Biden very well. Obviously, he worked with him when Obama was president. Yeah. So he's like, too much. But what has happened, speaking of punch bowls and spiking, these tech, some of these tech company earnings are off the charts. Like Apple came out yesterday. Good Lord. People are buying the phones and the iPads. And I mean, they just print money. Like it's, it's amazing. 
25 billion, 25 billion net profit in the, in the first quarter. It's insane. <laughs> so like, it, it's almost like, you know, I know it's not, they don't break down as much different departments anymore. They used to. But it's almost like like these iPhones cost them like ten bucks to make, and they sell them for a thousand dollars, and they sell a lot of them. You know, it's like, I'm not an iPhone guy. Like I've never had one. I always get a cheap little guy. We know you still have a pager, Richard. Yeah, when it's yeah, when it's time to get a new phone, I always go. I what's the cheapest phone you got that works? It like sends text, or or or, or I can call nine one one if I have that phone. I can call nine one one. We're going to get to your life alert pretty soon. Exactly, man. exactly. You don't, you, you don't get the high resolution camera ones. You can take pictures of moose and various. <laughs> no, no, I don't. Get that. I don't get that. I, I don't. I don't have any of that access. I, I can't even. I found out. You, you know how like things are opening up again, but a lot of I, I think it's silly. But like a lot of these restaurants, I don't know if they're worried about like costs or what. But like. I understand not giving out plastic menus because everybody's touching them, you know, and they'd have to clean them every time. Right. You can come out with paper menus, dude. You know, like, like just throw them away, right? Like, or, or recycle. I'm not even saying like waste, but these, the, a lot of these places scan, yep. scan this to get the menu, right? So it's a, oh, with your phone. Yeah, with your phone. That's how you get the menu. So I'm sitting there. And this is how I learned my $50 phone is no good. Um, <laughs> And I'm like trying to get the thing, and 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 I'm like saying to the the host guy, like I don't think this is working. And he he says, "Can I touch your phone, sir?" And I'm like, "Sure." So he he tries it, and he's like, "Yeah, that, that you don't let me get your menu." So they had him, right? <laughs> but like my fifty dollar phone didn't work. However, however, I do rely on the iPad. So when I'm doing work and stuff, no, I don't need my phone. But I, I kind of do need my iPad, and I, I trust it. And this is now the second or third one. When Eric and I worked together at the last place, they had an Apple store. Not an Apple store. They had a T-Mobile store across the street from our office. Mm-hmm. And when that first, I think it was the, the Air, iPad Air first came out, or the number two model, I went at like 6.30 a.m. and stood outside the door before work and made sure the guy had one. He got four. I remember he got four. And there was like a line of 10 people behind me. So some people got shut out. I never do that stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not that guy that goes after. But for that, I was like, yeah. So what do you anyway, do? Apple touches you in some way. So Apple touches just about everybody. Exactly. You know, and I'm like, wow, I, I'm shocked that I would care so much about a product. You know, I think I've gotten mm-hmm. Apple wrong every step of the way from every product they've put out, except maybe the iPod. Like, I, I, I remember when the phones came out and I'd be like, who the hell needs that on their phone? Like, look at the size of that thing. I mean, like, I wouldn't want that. And you finally get one. You're like, this is great. I remember the when the iPad came out, I just was like, it looks like a gigantic phone. Yeah. Like, it's, like who needs that? There's almost everything that I, that, to show how wrong I am, every single innovation that those guys have made. And then I always thought, well, if you keep coming out with new generation iPhones, Every, and it goes from two years. Now it's like seems like it's every six months to under a year. Eventually, you're start cannibalizing your own. You know, yeah. eventually people say it's enough. enough. I don't need that one. Or you know, you do what I do, which is I always buy the the generation of phones that just got replaced. Right. I'll, I'll wait for the price to go down. Right. And now it seems like they've caught on to that. They're holding those prices up, and people 
me included. Like I don't go to, I haven't switched over to a Samsung or another one of the probably perfectly good phones. I just, I stick with that, with that phone and the, the iPhone numbers, which is the, the iPhone 12 is just off the charts and nobody on the street got it right. Everybody and everybody thought they were going to blockbuster earnings and they missed this, these earnings by a lot yesterday. Everybody which is, agreed. which is very rare for a company like that who has like everybody and their cousin follows them as analysts. So they're usually pretty good about getting those earnings right. And they just missed too low. Like they were like, wow, everybody was shocked. So I think maybe more Apple had to do with the movement in stocks overnight than Biden, but everything went up, you know, everything was up, still looks rosy. It looks, you know, like people are having a good old time until inflation comes in. So inflation is showing in certain things that we eat, drink, use every day. And those are often known as commodities. Mm -hmm. And right now, I'll get my stock picks early. Eric and I, we like to talk about the relative value trades and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Here I am. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be long gold. I, I always love those. You ever see those Bill Devane commercials on, on, yeah. on the various TV? I buy gold. Like, I love saying that. Like, like he's been buying gold since it's been going down for years. Right. And I buy silver as a hedge for gold. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so anytime gold gets in my conversation, I always, I, I'll say it out loud. And no one in particular, I buy gold. So, today I'm buying gold. You always sound smart when you say that, yeah, I guess. It's so great. Those commercials are fabulous. Like, I don't know what they pay that guy, but it, that, those commercials have been on for years. Like he has been their spokesperson that one company for like 20 years. I'm Bill Devane and I buy gold. And it's so let's talk rate. about it a little bit. Let's demystify this conversation a little bit for me and for those that may not know about how you even you buy gold or other commodities, right? So right. to me, I always found it funny that you could look at uh, a ticker for coffee. And I'm like, how the hell do you buy coffee? It feels like you're just buying an idea. Hmm. It depends on what you're buying, obviously. Like a lot of these ETFs, right? So the one for gold is GLD, George Larry David. That's a huge ETF. People, When people say, I want to buy gold, that's the easiest way. You pay very little commission from, or zero commission from your friendly broker, and you can just buy that stock, GLD. And those guys, to manage the fund, actually go out and buy, they say they buy, we, you know, they report that they buy gold, Physically. Yeah, they'll buy physical. Um, they have some sort of storage mechanism. So they, they have it, and therefore you have it. So you're watching the price of gold go up and down. The flip side of that is, and I was happy to see our friends at the Goldman Sachs yesterday say this very thing, which is gold will shine or something will show luster versus Bitcoin. That just means they're polishing the physical gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, they, they're saying now, the, the Goldman Sachs is saying GDX is a better trade than GBTC, which is the ETF for or one of the funds for Bitcoin. So I, that's the trade I'm doing today, which is buying gold and shorting GBTC because mm. I think gold is going to rally more than the Bitcoin because gold it is much more of a commodity in people's minds than the crypto is right now. And I think everybody's got commodities on their minds because things are definitely picking up. 
price wise. Try going. Have you gone to the grocery store lately, Aaron? So no, my wife has been doing the shop and she's been ordering ShopRite online and then goes and picks it up. So I haven't looked at the individual prices, but we did just order from a meal prep service. So we're going to see how that goes and kind of compare and contrast. But yeah, I understand uh, things in general are more expensive. I saw, yeah, I saw meat and chicken and things like that are up 6% year over year, 6 I'll buy a lot of the steaks and the chicken and stuff like that at the grocery store. And uh, it's definitely up. Like they'll have specials once in a while and I look for them, but the regular prices are higher. Yeah. You could buy like what you're talking about now, like coffee, orange juice, things. there's agricultural commodities, food commodities, uh, various, you know, soybeans. There's, there's that, there's kind of food commodities. There's energy commodities like oil and natural gas. There's precious metals, and that's what you're talking about, gold and, and silver and palladium. And then there's um, there's also industrial metals. And the industrial metals are copper, zinc, nickel, aluminum, tin, and lead. Um, so I'm going to lead with a kind of a funny – I think it's a funny story. So late 2013, this is how I got started eventually in the, in the, in the business I now run, was uh, lawyers that uh, – a law firm, antitrust law firms came – you know. I was introduced to them and I was always, I was just always help them out for free. I, they did call me up because you know, they, they are really great lawyers, but they don't understand, especially when you got to start looking at what did a trader say and what did he do and what did these guys do? Is it wrong? So they would come to me for that. And so they asked me one day, I said, do you know anything about the London metals exchange? And I, I knew, Oh, I think they said the LME and I knew the LME stood for London metals exchange. And that was about the, the extent of what I knew. But of course I said, yeah, I know all about that. I learned it. But there was a story in 2013 that was just pretty hilarious. And what you probably, most Americans didn't know that Goldman Sachs owned all of the warehouses. So when you, when you buy metal, when you buy those metals, those, these are the industrial metals, copper, zinc, nickel, aluminum, tin, and lead. Often you buy them uh, or you trade them on the London Metals Exchange. And the London Metals Exchange is all over the world. It's in the US, it's in Europe, and it's in Asia. And they have warehouses all around the world where they store the metal. Um, so when you buy, when you buy, let's say aluminum, the you don't necessarily, and it's not ready for physical delivery, or you, you know, it's stored in a warehouse, and you have to pay, you have to pay to keep that that uh, that metal stored. Like Richie said with the gold, remember he said like well, you could buy the gold, or the ETF owns the gold, and they have storage somewhere. Well, this yeah. is kind of not on the London Metals Exchange, but this is kind of the same story. Mm -hmm. So anyway, an article comes out and Miller Beer, the Miller Beer Company is, is suing Goldman Sachs because now Miller Beer, obviously the canning, they, they need aluminum. They, they're one of the biggest. Is that a, yeah, that's all aluminum. Yeah, it's all aluminum. And their claim was that Goldman took over these warehouses when they would get metal it would sit in the warehouse in the, in the in the LME London Metals Exchange warehouses until they would take delivery, or and when they, when they would order for delivery, they'd say, "Okay, give me my metal." It might take two or three weeks to get the order, get the aluminum, get it out, you know. And you pay, and they pay a storage fee as long as the aluminum is in the warehouse. When Goldman Sachs took over, I believe in 2012, and this is a bigger thing. J.P. Morgan took over a lot of the uh, other warehouses. So the company, big gigantic commodities company, Glencore, 
what Millibeer was alleging, and it was true, was Goldman wouldn't give them their medal. They kept running around, the medal got lost. It was like it was like the Keystone Cops, where they, they wanted their medal, and, ah, sorry, we can't find it, we can't get it. And instead of six weeks, two to three weeks, it was taking six months to get their shit out of the warehouse. And they were paying every day that it was in the warehouse. When so, was this happening? This was 2013. Um, Goldman, the, the large, and they, they've divested of this since then. But Goldman, uh, owned the, the, they own the, all the warehouses that stored aluminum in Detroit. That's where they keep, that, that's where the aluminum warehouses end up being for the London Metals Exchange, because Detroit cars, they have their own special aluminum that they use that, that's, a, that's separate, that, that's also traded on the London Metals Exchange. So what happened was when they started looking into this, they're like, these three guys, these three companies, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, and Glencore had bought up all the warehouses in the world. All the London Metals Exchange warehouses in the world were owned by those three companies. And once you own the warehouse and you're able to actually, and, and you could trade the metal, it's like, it's a license to steal, which is exactly what, you know, what Kevin Darty was talking about on one of our Bitcoin episodes. We were talking about that before, where remember Coinbase, like, you're the, right, exchange, the, the, the custody yeah, the and the market. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway, we, th this case was, this case went forward and um, it, it's still actually going on. It's, it's, it's seven years into it and it's still, it's still happening. But I want to bring that up because one thing you have to be very careful. You have to understand this. If you're going to invest in commodity exchange traded funds or exchange traded notes is you have to understand how the futures market works. Because the ones that Rich and I are talking about, the, the gold exchanges, I, I'm sorry, the gold ETFs, if you own the physical, then you own the physical. But a lot of these cash, I'm sorry, a lot of these commodities, like, like the metals, uh, like copper, there's, a, there's a, um, uh, an ETF, CPER, you want to basically take a play on copper, which is a great, you know, it, it's, it's a great view, especially if you think the economy after being slowing down a lot is picking up. Copper is blowing through the roof right now. So if you own that ETF, you're doing really well. But what you have to understand is that in a normal functioning market, if my ETF doesn't own the physical metal, yeah. but they own futures, generally the future price. So if copper is 10 bucks today, I'm just throwing that number out there, 10 bucks today. And then I look at the future. So we're, we're sitting here, let's call it May 1st. And I look at, let's say the June future. And that's a widely traded um uh, futures contract. When you say that, you're saying uh, the predicted price of the what it will be. Predicted price in one month from now. Okay. So yeah, let's just call it the forward price. We'll take futures out of it. If you went and bought copper today, and you needed to store it for future sale, meaning you're just, let's say you're going to sell it in a month, then it's going to it's a cost, right? It's it's a it costs you more to hold the copper now, that's an expense, than to buy it in the future. Does that make sense? There's no cost right now to buy something in the future because you haven't taken delivery of it. Once you take right. delivery of it, you have to pay storage. And often people who do this also finance, the they finance the purchase. So you have to pay financing costs and you have to pay storage on the physical. Well, that means that everything else equal, it should cost you more to buy the physical today than to sell to, or to buy it a month from now because you don't you're not bearing those costs yet in the future you have, it hasn't settled yet right 
So this is what's called, and, and I know that this is, um, it's advanced, but people buy these things and you have to understand what, this is what's called contango, C-O-N-T-A-N-G-O, contango. It sounds probably a lot more fun than it actually is. <laughs> yeah, it's actually, it's actually pretty nasty if you, um, so it costs you more expense-wise to own the, own the physical copper today than to buy it a month from now. Therefore, the forward price is higher than we call the spot price, the, the physical price. And the reason is, is because it has to be what's called arbitrage free. If you could go and buy the copper today, take delivery of it, incur the costs, you, you know what the costs are to take delivery of it and to finance it and yep. simultaneously sell the forward price at the same time. So buy a spot, sell the forward, which is higher. And if you can't, you can, if you make any money on that trade, it's, a, it's an arbitrage because what you're doing is you're taking out all your risk. You're saying I, I bought today, I sold, I sold forward, and if somehow I can store the metal for less money or I could finance for less, I actually I'm gonna keep some money in my pocket. So that's you know, super complicated. All right, let's just think of it this way. Let's we we have to establish why the forward price is higher than the spot price normally. Yeah, well, well does that is it always higher? Is it no, not, not that, always is something they call it backwardation, but we'll get to that in a minute. We're just, uh, so we're just saying for like copper specifically, as in this example, copper, yeah. the price is going to be higher in the future. So I guess to make sense of it for me, why would it be advantageous to buy the futures rather than the ETF today? Well, here's the thing: if you buy the futures, right, it, it, it's you're gonna you're gonna pay you're gonna pay more. Right, because you're not, you don't have to store. Like a lot of these ETFs, a lot of these commodity funds, they never own the physical. They own the futures, and that's how they get exposure to the metal. However, when you buy a future and you have this relationship where the future today is higher than the the spot price, time goes on, right? And as you as time goes on, if everything else stays equal, that let's say remember we said like let's say copper's spot today is ten and forward is eleven. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes except time every day, and that that's a that's a June for futures price versus a May price. It's going to roll down this curve, and it's going to lose value every day as it gets closer and closer to that to the spot price to the physical price. All the futures roll down. It's just a function of time. So if you buy this thing, an ETF, and most and really a lot of the ETFs for industrial metals, agricultural products, they own the futures. They don't own the, they don't own the physical. What happens is, is over time you get this roll down and you, you're actually everything else equal. You paid more and you're losing money. You're lo it's rolling down. And every day, the value, everything, anything else equal, not that people, but that if people get bullish on copper, great, it goes up, but this is a cost that you incur owning an ETF or an ETN exchange traded note. That's a play on a particular commodity that owns futures and not the physical. And most of them outside of the precious metal own futures. So like the one, the, the CPER, that's the, that's the copper um, exchange trade fund. It's all futures. They own the June, the July, the uh, August and the September futures. They don't own the physical. So as time goes on, everything else equal, you're gonna roll down that curve. And you and, and and it's a cost to you that you have to you kind of have to know is in there. Um, 
You can see how that's confusing. Like a lot, I'm sure there's a plenty of people that think they're buying the physical copper. Yeah, when they're well, when they're in that ETF, right? Yeah, and the reason again, there's a method to the madness. The reason why we're talking about this complicated thing is because it is complicated, and that doesn't mean don't buy these, but also don't listen to the uh, marketing of the company, like, you know, iShares and, and and all the big the big ETF makers. Hey, you want to own commodities? It's easy. Just buy this, you know. And yeah, it's easy to buy. It's very easy to buy. It's very easy to buy anything. But to truly understand it is a totally different story. And I think we should get into it. We, you remember we talked about when oil last year, April 2020, West Texas Intermediate crude for, for May delivery. So the spot price went negative $40, meaning you had to pay somebody I, I had to pay Richie to take delivery of the oil. And I was, the oil was not a positive asset. It was negative. I, it was a cost, which is freaking insane. It never happened before. Luckily, it hasn't happened since. But what happened was you have this gigantic ETF that was called USO. It's still out there, USO. And USO was... All they had already gotten out of the May future, but they were in that June future. When that when those prices dropped like that, and think about a futures curve, everybody started looking at the, the June contract that USO owned, and they were like, "Oh shit! Like that thing's going to go down too." And it went down tremendously. It, you know, that one almost went through zero like the next day, and it was a total total crisis. And I think it was manipulated, and people made zillions of dollars on this, but. What had happened was that ETF that people jumped in and bought. People bought it because they're like, ha, I'm buying, I'm buying oil, you know, at negative prices. I'm gonna buy that ETF. Yeah, sure. And, yeah, you weren't buying the oil at negative, you were buying the futures. And guess what? When USO realized, oh shit, if this this thing goes below zero, I can't go to investors and ask them for any more money. It's my loss. Like you know what I'm saying? Like, like if 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 the if the ETF goes negative. Meaning the ETF has a negative price. The worst that an investor can do is go to zero. They can't, if it goes to minus 10, you can't go to the investor and say, give me 10 bucks. The actual sponsor, the manager of the ETF is going to lose money, which rarely has ever happened. Certainly not in the big thing like oil. So what they did is they were, they were bailing out of this June futures contract. They were selling and that was what probably drove it down. And this was all, I think this is all orchestrated as manipulation. But then you had all these, 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 Investors jumping in to buy USO because that's the one they knew as the big oil ETF. And when everything rebounded up, they're like, why is my USO going up? Because USO got the help. USO took a lot of losses to get out of that June contract. And then they went and bought contracts way further out just to kind of diversify their risk. But the result was you ended up buying an ETF and you may have already lost money on the ETF when, when oil went down. Now you're jumping and buying this ETF thinking you're buying oil at zero or negative prices and you're not. And when the, when the oil market kind of recovered, they didn't recover. The USO didn't recover anywhere near as fast as the oil market did. Talk to me a little bit about what happens like when you're purchasing the futures. So let's just go back to the, the copper example, $10 yeah. to $11. I buy the futures at $11, right? And I'm betting for it to go to 11 and it does. What does that mean? What happens there? Well, if you buy, so if you're buying the futures at 11, right? And yeah, and you, you think they're going to go to 12, could happen. You know, Brett Rabel, it, it, it's possible. <laughs> um, but if you don't, 
like, let's say that the, the curve, instead of being $10 to $11, let's say, and this is what happened in the oil market. They call it super contango. Like, let's say that the spot <laughs> price is six and the June price is 12. Could happen. Has happened. Well, if you buy that thing and you're buying an ETF that owns that future, you, you buy the futures yourself, which probably we won't do, but you know, if you did, you got to understand that that future, everything else equal is going to go from 12 to six. It's, you're going to lose six bucks on this thing while you're holding it because it's going, it's rolling down time. It's rolling down a steep curve where it's getting to the point where the last day, if you're not on that future, you have to take delivery of it and you got to take delivery and you got to know where you're storing it and what the cost is and where you're going to finance delivery. You're not going to take delivery. You're going to get out of the futures contract. You're going to pair it off. You're going you're to sell that future and buy the next future. But think about that. You're going to lose everything else equal. You're going to lose six bucks holding that futures contract. So you need that thing. You have to be very confident that that, that thing's going to go up and go up a lot to offset this. And that is something that most people who buy commodity ETF don't, don't know. Um, you have to understand how the futures market work and you have to understand what the futures curve looks like. And if you don't, you could get into a lot of rude awakenings. You're your trading strategy may backfire on you. It may not give you, you may be looking at, you know, you, you got heavily into copper and all these things. And you see so what you're reading, the, you're reading the, you know, you're going to the Wall Street Journal, you're looking at the prices, you, you know, maybe there's a story about it. And you're worrying, you're wondering why my ETF isn't going up anywhere near what they're saying copper's going up. This is part of the reason. You don't necessarily understand what is in that ETF or how it works. And that, that's important. So Richie, you're long on gold. Does that mean you purchased futures or are you taking stock of the physical gold? I took the ETF. This ETF, you got to trust them on their quarterly reporting and what have you. The GDX, or sorry, the GLD, George Larry David, they claim to hold physical gold and lots of it. So they may play in the futures market a little bit. And when you watch this particular ETF GLD move, it does move pretty well with uh, the price of gold. Like it's not really smoking you one way or the other. So I'm not messing around with the futures market. I, I trust this GLD to be a, as pure, probably not 100% pure, but as pure a play on the physical gold as I can get. And that's why I play that that one. But like like Bill Devane on those commercials, I think they're actually buying bars. Like he's yeah. buying coins and stuff. Coins, right? Yeah. I buy gold. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with these ETFs, right? There's nothing wrong where, hey, maybe the best way to play a rebounding global economy, let's say, let's say six months ago, if you felt that the economy was going to really was going to surprise to the upside, and you're looking at all of these, all these industrial metals and oil and, and, and the energy commodities, they're in the crapper because the, the global economy stopped and you want to get ahead. That could be, and that usually is one of the best plays out there is to, you know, ETFs on copper, ETFs on zinc, ETFs on nickel. There's ETFs that are a basket of these metals. And that's what, because, you know, you could be an investor and this may be just something you know. Remember we always talked, remember we talked about the old the old guy from um, Fidelity, Peter Lynch? So he was a superstar mutual fund manager. And he, he was, they always said, invest in what you know. Well, you may know it a lot about you know, what you do with your work or your life. And you may know a lot about copper. You may know a lot about these metals or what goes into whatever you're making that, that, that you know, hey, you know what? This is a great play. You just don't want to get burned by a lack of knowledge of understanding what, what you're buying. <sighs> okay, dad, I'm not going to invest in futures. <laughs> you notice I'm looking at you every time I... I can feel it. You feel it, right? Big dad energy coming from you. 
<laughs> but um, <laughs> to further that, you know, it's not just uh, precious metals that are getting affected. You can buy raw materials too. And right now, lumber prices mm -hmm. are flying. The recent uh, housing market prices came out and it showed that I think the average, which is amazing to me, the average cost of a home now is $346,000. Yeah, yeah. We mentioned that last week too. Yeah. And 07, I want to say it was like 150 when everything blew up badly. Uh, but uh, they said about 346. There's been a recent kick of like 60 or 70 grand in the last, I don't know, eight months. 20 to 30 grand of that is just pure old lumber prices. Lumber hit a high today, a new all-time high. Yeah, people might think, oh, the housing market, it's booming, dude. Look at that. Everybody's buying. Well, when you break down a house and the parts that go into it to build especially new ones, you put up all those costs. And guess what? Like, it's not necessarily profit for the developer or the seller. It's passing on the pricing increases in some of these commodities to the consumer, which is what you get when you get inflation. Like everything from hamburgers at Mickey D's to, you know, gasoline at the pump, everything adds up. Eric was talking about Dunlock from Double Line saying they're just guessing the Fed. I think he's right. Like, how do they know? Like, all right, so prices go up because the economy's booming. Right? Everybody's buying. Everybody's got pent up demand, stimulus checks. Biden's got trillions of dollars going into infrastructure. And like, what happens? Like that just goes away in one day and then everything comes back down to earth. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think that's what happens. It, it might slow down. But if you get like a big ass move in a lot of these prices, wages go higher. I mean, it sounds good, right? But if everything right. is costing more, yeah, yeah, it's hard to keep that thing down. And the one way they can keep it down is to raise interest rates. Right. And then take, take the punch bowl. Yeah. Then what do you think happens to stocks? I mean, these lumber companies are going to get used to all this money that's coming in. Um, I got a friend of mine who's a contractor. I don't know where he got this, but he posted a graphic on, on Facebook. It looks it's from some television uh, program. I don't know what it was, but would cost to build a deck for a 200 square foot deck in April of 2020. $936. I think this is, this is just for material. April 2021, $3,696 yep. in a year. What was the, uh, yeah, well, I just was doing some quick calculations here and the price of lum the lum now lumber's futures has gone up since the beginning of the year. It's gone up 64%. That's massive. Yeah, I was talking to guys that said that just a standard two by four, just one slab of a two by four. They were like a dollar last year. They're like 10 bucks. You see the picture of uh, Ben Shapiro with the, the one piece of wood in a bag? No. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> this this douchebag, you know, he's going after like woke politics or whatever. So I guess like Home Depot doesn't play that game. So he's like, I'm going to go support this great company. So he, he walks in and he, I get, I, I, he didn't even show the whole video. He's just like, I'm going to walk in. He's in the parking lot. I'm going to walk in. And then there's a picture of him like with a, a piece of wood. That's like, I don't know, three by two. Hmm. And it's in a plastic bag. Just one piece of wood. <laughs> 
He owns, and you could say he owns physical lumber. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's one other thing. So it's going to be a big story what happened in oil last year. It has to be because kind of a funny aside, everybody lost money, but you knew like all the big oil companies. So like Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, British Petroleum and Chevron, they have trading desks now. In other words, when when oil producers and exploration producers, like those guys got killed last year, killed, and Exxon got what destroyed, those guys surprised to the upside quite a bit because the guys who had the big trading desks, and so think about it, you're you're trading oil. You're an oil trader on an exchange, you know, and you are a gigantic trading floor within Chevron or let's go, or uh, uh, Royal Dutch Shell or BP. And- you have all the information. There's supposed to be a Chinese wall that's at Wall Street firms, generally the guys who trade proprietary versus the guys who are, are market makers. You don't you're not supposed to know what each other are doing. But so at least there is a there is a Chinese wall. These guys are on a different floor. They're not supposed to be talking to each other. These guys, I don't even know who regulates them. Like I don't even I don't know if they are regulated. So God knows. So if you're tra- if you're in these markets, these guys know a hell of a lot more than you do. They know a million percent more than you do. So these guys made a fortune when the, when the earnings came out for the second quarter last year. These guys reported billions of dollars of trading profits from what happened when oil went to zero. So that you know, or below zero. So that's a problem. So that's why you think there's some manipulation. Oh, absolutely. Oh, so yeah, yeah. So what came out? What came out was a few days after this debacle was. This comp this this firm called Vega, I think it was called Vega Capital in London, made over six hundred million dollars in one day when this happened. Wow, who's Vega Capital? Well, it turns out it's like eight or nine blokes in, in the UK that live in um they, they live in, I can't remember the, the nice one of the nice London suburbs. They're all oil traders, ex-oil traders, and they just they got together and they know exactly what's going on. They they buy they they trade the futures and they they made all this money. You know these guys know what they're doing, so they could have made a lot of money. However, to make six hundred million dollars, right? And these are just six or seven guys. They're guys. They're not they're not working at Goldman Sachs or guys. Blokes. Blokes. Gents. For them to make six hundred million dollars, they had to take risk, right? That if it went the other way, it went pear shaped, as the our British brethren like to call it. Or tits up, as we like to say. <laughs> if it went tits up, these guys would have dropped twenty-five million. I mean, they would have dropped a lot of money. There's no way they could have taken all that risk to make six hundred. You know, you got to be taking risk to lose quite a bit. There's no way on earth anybody would have traded with these guys, six, seven guys. Not they're not a big fund. They don't have a lot of capital. Without somebody was backing these guys. Like, there's no way that this happened. And people are kind of incurious about it right now. Like, how do these guys do this? I think they have buddies at the oil companies. They put on a trade to help these guys make money maybe outside of the company. That's just but my can opinion. can you prove it, Mr. Salzman? Can you prove it? Well, that's where you got to go to discovery. You gotta, that, that's, that's really, that's what we do, right? It's like, yeah, we, you, you make a complaint, you, have a, you, you do a complaint, you allege that this happened. And you have to have you have to have enough plausible your, your allegations have to be plausible, but you don't have to have the smoking gun. You just have to have a good plausible claim, and then hopefully the judge doesn't dismiss it. You go to discovery, and that's when you get all the information of what what really happened. Just an aside there, but again, 
think of all that going on and you're just, you know, you're, you're doing what you think is right. You know, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm buying oil. What are you crazy? There's no reason. There's no, there's no way oil should, could stay at zero or below zero. And you buy, you, you buy the biggest ETF and you end up getting burned. And you really will never understand why you got burned unless you kind of know how the, the internal workings of, the, of these ETFs, uh, how they function. I mean, this is this is super complicated stuff. I definitely have to wrap my head around this a little bit more, uh, and I'm sure that this is this is the kind of stuff that's only for seasoned vets that understand exactly what's happening in the market. Uh, but it is, I mean, it is good to know because you know, just even a buddy of mine was, you know, I can't believe he's talking to me about NFTs and stocks, and I'm like, you of all people. Yeah are interested in this? He's like, yeah, like, what do you know? And I was like, I don't know, man, maybe listen to this monkey business show and learn something. <laughs> and then I, I was like, he's like, yeah, I think I might do this, that. And I was like, yeah, but like, there's a lot of stuff going on that you don't have any idea about how it affects what you're doing. So you're really just gambling. Yeah. So Good. I'm preaching the word that you guys are giving to me. All right. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you. The old yeah. adage was uh, back in the 1920s, not the 2020s. But the 1920s, when stocks were just flying right before like the big crash, probably in like the late 20s, right? They said that the, the way they determined there was going to be a crash, some of these guys on Wall Street was they'd get their shoes shined on the stand, right? And the shoe shine guy would give them stock tips, right? right. So, so the guy working on the Wall Street side is hearing from the shoe shine guy why things are going to go up. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I think it's about time we sold some of that stuff. Is he buying yeah. dog coin? Yeah. Is he what? Is he buying dog coin? That's what it was. That's what he brought up, actually. It was Doge. Yeah, it was Doge. And, uh, you know, I guess there's the, the Doge father now. Elon's the Doge father. So, yeah, I mean, we got to talk about that, too. Apparently, they Tesla sold a lot of the uh, Bitcoin, right? You remember we, yeah, we talked about that, that Tesla bought a billion and a half of Bitcoin a few months ago. And we were like... Uh, I don't know if I'm an investor. I bought a car company, not a not a Bitcoin fund, and that's you know. I mean, if Ford did something like that on the scale that you know, let's do it for scale, I mean, shareholders would go berserk, right? You, what the hell are you doing buying Bitcoin? You know, taking free cash flow and buying Bitcoin. But yeah, they, they apparently their their disclosures they made 110 million dollars <laughs> selling <laughs> Bitcoin. And I just want to point out, okay, and I predicted this. On a previous episode, Elon Musk is going to be doing stand-up comedy soon, and now the Doge father is doing SNL, which is close enough. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be in some cool skits, I'm sure. The, <laughs> the, uh, the, as we also often talk about as well, the gambling side of things, nobody goes to Gamblers Anonymous because they won too much. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. They don't go in and be like, I got to quit. I'm making too much. <laughs> so so old, old Elon has now rubbing hands, cashed in for 110 million on the old Bitcoin. You think he stops? You think that's over? No, it's not. It's already been disclosed that he's got more. He just bought more. He bought more Bitcoin. Yep. He took his profits probably to dress up the balance sheet for the quarter. And now he's back at it again. So he's gonna bat. He's gonna win every time, right? Just like those guys on those one nine hundred numbers back in the day. I got hundred percent locks every game. A winner, right? <laughs> That's what he's doing, and it's gonna turn one day. And people are gonna be like, "You sold a lot of cars, dude. Where's the?" Money? <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, we lost it in Bitcoin. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts as we wrap this up? Keep watching these commodities because uh, if it continues to roll higher, you're going to have some issues. Like the market will kind of tell you, uh, even if the Fed isn't doing anything, if there's a nervousness like we had a couple months ago, like you saw interest rates starting to pop up and you saw the stock market pop down, um, that can easily happen in the next coming months for sure with this overheated economy going. And I think uh, to some degree, some of our all like, like Aaron, I'll, I'll give you the warning signal to dump AGNC. If, yeah, that happens. Then we're, we're, we're in for bad time, even though the Fed is not saying they're not concerned about it. I uh, it seems like, you know, that that's the danger out there. The thing that we, we always talk about, we, we can't see. Well, we're starting to see it. So you just got to be you know, a little a little defensive on that. All right. Keep your head on a swivel, folks. It's <laughs> volatile times out there. And good luck to you and all your stock picks. May we all live long and prosper. We'll see you next week on the Monkey Business Show.